Why are you doing this? Welcome to Filmstrip. What are you doing? I mean, are you crazy? Everybody's here. Featuring Ron. Thank you, honey. This is a beautiful party. You invited all my friends. Good thinking. Brian. You don't understand anything, man. Leave your stupid comments in your pocket. And Jay. I feel like I'm sitting on an atomic bomb waiting for it to go off. This podcast episode will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and details of the film. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And I am Ron. And this is our review of The Room. Written, directed, produced, (laughs) conceived, and starring Tommy Wiseau, along with a lot of other people. His line producer, Greg Sestero, Juliet Danielle, Philip Holdeman, and Carolyn Minot. Released in 2003 in a budget of $6 million, it grossed (laughs) $1,800 at the box office, but it's gone on to become a cult classic, to say the least. Now, this is a record-breaking moment brian up until this point donkey punch had held our record for the <laughs> lowest box office total of all time but now the room has taken the mantle some three years later donkey <laughs> punch I, and and that means that all the other the three leprechauns have made it to the theater i'll, I'll beat that <laughs> this is true so well now first things first all right now, obviously you heard it in the intro what what the deal is here we're nowhere in small park territory. There is no denying that. So it's out of the gate. All right. But how do we get here? Well, Ron, you and I have gone back and forth on social media and emails for, gosh, I guess about six months now about what's the worst movie you've ever seen that was actually released in a theater. Because, you know, they, they can be bad films that never even got you know any kind of distribution and such. So you have offered tonight's choice, The Room. And folks who have listened to any of our podcasts long enough or follow me on Twitter know that my choice for that is after last season. Talk about that next time. Brian, you basically got here because I wouldn't shut up about this on Instant Messenger (laughs) to you and uh, sort of drug you in as the special guest referee because I believe, as you told it to me, you tried to watch 10 minutes of the room once and it nearly made you throw up. And then you (laughs) did watch 10 minutes of after last season and asked me, what's with the paper mache MRI machine? (laughs) That's correct. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about The Room a couple times over the years, and that was always on the short list of things that we may do in the future because it was so bad you had to. Yeah. And we've also talked about after last season, but you didn't know where your copy was, and so obviously you found that, which is great. Um, <laughs> well, because let's not. face it, there's just not a lot of copies out there. <laughs> that, that is a hard thing to find. But really, this is uh, we're doing this now because, Ron, among the many other things you've brought us, the, the lovely Golan Globus, uh, you know, films that we've reviewed and some other things and, and uh, of course a connection to Den of Geek and Popeye and stuff like that you really championed this as this must be done this must be reviewed and I said you know what I think we've if we got somebody that strong behind it I think we gotta we gotta give in and do the, the two for here the room and after last season so tell us about your background with the room if you will Ron my first exposure to the room was during I used to be a a consistent watcher of Adult Swim. And one April Fool's Day, I turn it on, and instead of cartoons, I've got this weird, stringy-haired gargoyle man uh, mauling this mortified-looking blonde woman, and this guy, and they're drinking scotchka, and they're eating pesto and pineapple pizzas, and it, it, it turns out it was the uh, it was an April Fool's Day joke 
and Tim and Eric uh, of Tim and Eric Awesome Show, great job, and a bunch of other stuff, were big early kind of champions of the room, and they went to Adult Swim with this idea. So I saw this movie, and I was like, all right, I got to see this thing for real. So I went, and I tracked down a copy of The Room at my local video store, and I've been a... find it. <laughs> oh, well, we've got... We're, I'm lucky to have Wild and Wooly Video, one of the best video <laughs> stores remaining in the country. And they have a great selection of weird and terrible garbage. <laughs> awesome. But the, but unfortunately, they don't have after last season because I've tried and tried. I think I'm one of the only people in North America that does. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, after I saw that, I got obsessed with it. I hunted it down. I went to I've been to a couple of different screenings. I've got Greg Sestero's book, The Disaster Artist. Which and they're currently th- isn't that been option to be a movie with like Paul Giamatti and James Franco or something like yes, that? Yes, James James Franco is gonna play gonna play Mark the line producer. I can see that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's gonna be phenomenal. I'm who's really gonna be with So? That's what I want to know. Oh, clearly you gotta. He's just gonna play himself. Or or Nicolas Cage. So, oh <laughs> man, don't even start. That's the best casting you could have given me. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, but yes, I've actually got an autographed copy of the Blu-ray that uh, Tommy Wiseau sent me because I bought it. I bought it from his web store. <laughs> wow! And it came with a, a free autographed picture, and it was in a Tommy Wiseau underwear-themed plastic bag because he oh has his own underwear line. That's oh my goodness. <laughs> Well, yeah. I knew you had a, a signed copy because you sent me a picture of it. And I was like, wow. Now, that is, that's like buying the cereal. That's going in deep, man. Uh, yeah, and it came with a great headshot from probably 25 years ago <laughs> that he also signed to me and my wife, Holly. Wow. Now, so this, now the background of this, though, is, is this was a play and then it was a book. How did it get to be a film? And how did Tommy Wiseau get six million bucks to make it? Yes, it was originally a play, then it was a 500-page book, and then it became a film script. Long story short, Greg Sestero was actually getting some acting work and, and some attention, and uh, at least according to the disaster artist, I mean, take that for what it's worth, he, um, Tommy got jealous that his friend, who was the handsome All-American, doesn't look like a creepy French monster, you know, doesn't look like the castle freak, uh, was getting this attention, and he just decided, you know, I'm going to make myself a star, and I'm going to write me a movie with all the passion of Tennessee Williams and none of the ability to use the English language. <laughs> and so, thus, the room was born. As for the financing, there's a couple of different stories out there. Tommy says he earned the money himself by selling fake leather jackets. Apparently, <laughs> that that's good in San Francisco. From, <laughs> yes, for, in San wow. Francisco, that he imported from South Korea. Uh, he did have, he does have a clothing store called Street Fashions USA, and he owns several uh, commercial properties in San Francisco now. Uh, so, I mean, he's clearly got money coming in that may or may not be tied up with the Eastern European mob. But, uh, <laughs> that's kind of that's a little hearsay. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, sure. and I wouldn't want to drag an otherwise innocent monster's name into the mud like that. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, Brian, you, you mentioned it before. You and I had talked about this back and forth. I will say, honestly, I had only seen pieces of this. And generally, like, around a room with a group of friends, like, oh, we got to watch this. Like, it would be on Adult Swim or somebody would have it. And we'd throw it in for a few minutes. But I never sat down and, like, paid attention to it purposely. I watched this thing three times three times <laughs> for this review and wow. just to be able to consume it and get it in so i i have i feel like now i am really like a fan of the of the room whether i wanted to be or not because i i watched it several times for this now brady you ever seen it all the way through uh, not until now <laughs> I've, I've had a bookmark of, of the youtube channel that had it for <laughs> several years and then i was cleaning up my computer and deleted it. And so when I went to look for it, I couldn't find it again. But thankfully, Vimo has it, and that's how I, I watched it. <laughs> and, Ron, of course, you have your multiple copies, one of which is autographed. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it was just that I think I lost the, the DVD subconsciously, so I have an excuse to buy the Blu-ray. <laughs> The fact that there is a Blu-ray of this, matter of fact, Brian did not believe me when I told him you had the Blu-ray of it. He's like, "There's a Blu-ray of this." So. Oh, not not only was it, not only is it a Blu-ray, the film itself was shot both on 35 millimeter and on digital uh, high definition film. <laughs> oh Tommy Wiseau built a special camera rig, Jeez. and he bought, not least, bought <laughs> two cameras: one 35, one digital. Put them side by side. Had one guy shoot the whole thing. Wow. And because he was confused about the differences between the two film types and he couldn't choose. And clearly he had six million dollars or so to burn. So he just decided, you know, just do it, do it both ways. And he did. Wow. That is like Michael Bay level excess right there. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. He, he also had multiple sets of cast members. He had understudies for people. It uh, is like he, a play. Yeah, he 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 had at least three different film crews because everyone kept quitting on him because he's a lunatic. Can't imagine why. So how long did it take to shoot this thing? Uh, actually, as it turns out, it was four months of filming. Wow, for this movie, <laughs> <laughs> four months for yes. what is three sets? <laughs> must have been yeah, must have been all the well, set changes. Well, well, here's the here's the thing. He, they would build the set, shoot things, tear the set down, and then Tommy would decide he wants to shoot on the set again, so they'd have to rebuild the set. That's so instead great. of doing all of the all of the uh, green screen stuff for the roof, all of the interiors, all of the exteriors, he just did it as it came to him to do it. And when he wanted to do an interior shot, he just paid them to build it again. So as someone who doesn't know what they're doing, obviously running a production. So it's, it is, we've handed the keys over to the inmate to run the asylum. That's what this sounds like. So it, It's, it's quite possibly the only time it, someone's done everything wrong <laughs> themselves. Twice. Yeah, just, yeah. Well, <laughs> everything, every bed, everything you could do wrong. He apparently did wrong during the production. I mean, at one wow. point, Carolyn Minot, the, the lady who plays, um, uh, Oh, Claudette. Yeah, Claudette. Uh, Lisa's, the beautiful Lisa's mom. Uh, she got overheated on the set because they built the set in a parking lot of, of uh, Burns and Sawyer, which is the place <laughs> where Tommy bought the equipment. <laughs> and because there was no air conditioning or anything on set, and it's like 95 degrees and she's in a sweater, <laughs> and she's a million years old, it, it goes without saying she passed out. Yeah. Oh, my gracious. It's like a – there are probably – I know – 
Greg Sestero wrote a book about it. There's probably everybody could have written a book about that if they had, if they had wanted to. Goodness there, gracious. There are some other people who are apparently also writing books, I, but <laughs> I could not recommend this book highly enough. It is the most entertaining train wreck imaginable, especially <laughs> if you read all of Tommy Wiseau's parts in your best Tommy Wiseau impression. Well, speaking of which, why don't you do us the plot summary? If you do it in Wiseau's voice or not, I, explain to us what it is that the room is actually about. Not so yeah. much what they did, just what is it about. Yeah, please tell me what I watched. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, if I start laughing, I'll start again from the top. <laughs> Johnny, the third Tommy Wiseau, has the perfect life. He has nice job as banker. He has townhouse with roof for parties. He has Mercedes Benz. He has Denny, played by Philip Haldeman, who is like his son. He loved like a son. And most of all, he has beautiful girlfriend named Lisa. Juliet Daniel, who looks so beautiful in her red dress. Unfortunately, <laughs> Johnny's life is far from perfect beneath the surface as Lisa, and by extension all women, are not to be trusted. <laughs> Lisa is cheating on Johnny with his best friend in the world, Mark, Greg Sestero, line producer. <laughs> Lisa grow more and more manipulative, mistreating Johnny who buys her flowers and a red dress. Lisa begin to tell her mother that Johnny hit her, which he did not, and cannot seem to decide between financial stability and Mark's scruffy beard. <laughs> Everything comes to a head on Johnny's birthday. He gets in a fight with Mark, Lisa slut around, and eventually Johnny can't take anymore. Leaving unresolved subplots in his wake, Johnny trashes his bedroom, makes love in Lisa's red dress, <laughs> and then kills himself while everyone stands around and cries. I don't know if that's a good Tommy Wiseau or a great I, Peter Stormare from uh, Armageddon, but it's dead on. Take your pick, man. I, I gotta say that was more entertaining than the movie. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm, yeah. Can you just remake it with you? That was great. Maybe you should play with so. Um, uh -huh. Wow, makes what a story. <laughs> yeah, that makes love to Lisa's red dress is my favorite part. That yes, that uh. to, well, when I read that <laughs> after you had written it, I thought. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. I I couldn't tell if he was convulsing <laughs> or humping it, but I guess we'll get there. There's there's time before that. Um. No, appar uh, apparently <laughs> he was in the original script. He is humping it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, I think imagine. they kind of talked him out of that one. For <laughs> I wonder um, how so they didn't seem to talk him out of any other damn thing on this. So. <laughs> <laughs> who even knows wow. the power of, of Greg Sestero's beard. I guess so. Where to start? <laughs> I mean, usually, even with like the worst of the Leprechaun sequels, I felt like there was at least a place <laughs> to begin. <laughs> you know, But with this, I guess we just have to talk about the characters. And let's talk about good old Johnny here, the longest-haired banker I've ever seen in my life. Guys, I know a lot of bankers, okay? I, I've trained a lot of people to go work for banks. And one thing is certain, you cannot look like that and work <laughs> at a bank. <laughs> under no circumstances <laughs> so yeah. um yeah i okay so he, johnny is supposed to have the perfect life here right but underneath all of it he's a 
really paranoid <laughs> about everybody betraying him sort of non-sequentially. That's, that's really what happens here, right? Yeah, uh, the basically. Way, <laughs> the way I saw it was is that uh, apparently he's the most popular guy ever, <laughs> except for when his girlfriend or fiancé cheats on him. Then the only friends he has are, are Mark and Lisa. And well, since they don't like him anymore, he has no friends. He has Danny and the random uh, psychologist. Well, don't care. <laughs> the random psychologist. And then whoever the heck that was at the party at the end. <laughs> and, and let's not forget his best friend, Doggy. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> well, th- just when he walks in the room, I mean, it is a startling moment. You cannot not just burst into laughter the way he walks into that living room. I felt like I was watching, you know, bad casting outtakes from days of our lives. Cause that's the set. It looks a whole lot like that. Oh, uh, did I tell you what about the set? I did. Didn't I? Well, I could tell the podcast listeners, the set was in the, was a display in the window of like a thrift store. <laughs> And and Tommy, we so liked it so much, he bought it and said, "That's the set for the room. <laughs> Everything except for the TV stand, which is the weird Roman column things that's sitting under the TV. It's all from that thrift store." Wow. Yeah. And there are spoons and artwork everywhere. There's not a shot without a spoon in it. That's which is why you throw the spoons at the screen. I wondered what that was. You, all about. you throw the spoons every time you see the, the spoons on the screen. You chant go, go, go when they do the tracking shots across the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> and you cheer when you get all the way across and you boo and moan and act upset when you only make it like halfway. Uh, it's like its own Rocky Horror. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Rocky Horror with more um, misogyny towards Lisa. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, you could you could boo every time Lisa, you know, looks at the screen so um let's just go to her i mean i think we've already nailed it johnny's a weird french monster lisa (laughs) (laughs) okay brian you tell me i'm I'm gonna go to you for a minute because we've we talked about and picked on rightfully so some of the female leads of let's just go the leprechaun series but also the buffy series is lisa the worst actress of all of those the worst character that we've we've encountered in all of these podcasts she's right up there for me She's up there pretty high. You know what? I every, every time she came on the screen and talked and did anything, I swear I was looking at Courtney Love. <laughs> oh yeah. Honest to God, I'm like, oh, this is like Courtney Love. Ugh, gross. <laughs> yeah, but worse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so pretty that, even. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I had not thought that, but that you're right. She is a bit of a ringer for it. And what's weird is I looked up her IMDb page. She's a totally different looking person with that dark hair. I'm like, I can see why you didn't go back to blonde after this. I don't know that you would. And you told me, Ron, offline that she was not the first choice. Heck, maybe not the second choice to play this, right? She was actually the third choice. She was originally playing Michelle, who shows up in, you know, the second act to make out with Mike and set up the whole (laughs) me underwears joke and then disappear. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Second act in quotation marks. Yeah, I was going to ask you a question about that. She looked familiar to me. Yeah, yeah, she's not because she didn't have a career after this. Michelle, gosh, I swear I'd seen her on like some bad PBS show or one of the Law and Order films or one of the Law and Order shows. But she did one more film after this movie and that was it. Wow. Her career was done. Man. Wow. Kind of like 
Well, I haven't seen Lisa in anything else either. But let's the back. Well, to her. she actually had a career. She she didn't have anything after this movie until 2012. But then I, she's yeah. got a slew of things. I did notice she's in something called Ghost Shark Two, and I can only imagine how oh, God. that is. So, and I don't think we'll be. Reviewing it's not released yet. So <laughs> I've yeah. seen. Uh, well, I've seen Ghost Shark a, One. Let's just. <laughs> Yeah, I'll admit to that. I have seen Ghost Shark 1 on the Sci-Fi Channel. I feel a retrospective <laughs> coming in my near Shocktober next year. Or something. <laughs> but uh, back to Lisa, though, as a character. She may be one of the most, like, reprehensible people ever written for the screen. It is it is the worst portrayal of a modern woman I've seen in years. I mean, it is amazing how poor a light they put this woman in. That's putting it mildly. I mean, every every time you go to a cult screening, every time anything Lisa says anything, people just yell insults at her. I feel so. I kind of feel bad for the actress because I know she had nothing to do with this, and mm-hmm. and apparently she was fresh off the bus from Texas. Yeah. When Tommy sunk his weird gnarled claws into her. <laughs> <laughs> what could they have told her? In the in the casting bit that made her go, yeah, or maybe it was just a work. Maybe it was just work. I guess you know, struggling actors, you do what you got to do, right? Well, it was apparent. It was apparently a union shoot, so she could get her SAG card from it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. He, uh, Tommy actually, with his Street Fashions USA company, yeah, he actually kept shooting commercials for himself so he could get his, his SAG card. <laughs> Well, hey, whatever works, right? Yeah. <laughs> but th- this person, let's let's think about her whole setup here, because Lisa's actually pretty simple to figure out. She's got two choices, right? Either be the 50s June Cleaver wife that, that her mother and apparently Tommy wants her to be, or Johnny wants her to be, or go live the wild, dangerous life with Mark, who the first time we meet him, she calls him and he says he's busy as he's sitting in a parked car. <laughs> so, I don't know if he's waiting on his dealer. I, I don't know if he's in traffic. No, what. Chris R shows up later. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's happening, but you know, Lisa is apparently bored with Johnny, and her mother's like, "Yeah, it's overrated. Just stick with him for the yeah. security." Because even her mother knows you have no skills, darling. So <laughs> she's so bored that she bangs him every other scene. My God. Well. I mean, we're gonna she get has to sex that. with Johnny. She has sex with Mark. She makes Johnny drink so that she can have sex with him again. Uh, she tells her mom lies about her getting hit by him. She tells multiple friends that she can't stand him, doesn't love him, wants to go off with Mark. She gets caught three times in the movie <laughs> having making the moves on Mark and yet doesn't care that she's getting caught. And talk about Johnny's friends. They don't seem to care either. They're telling her how bad she is, but they won't tell Johnny what's going on. You know? Oh, nothing's going on. No. Yeah. Like, talk about you don't need enemies when you got friends like that. (laughs) To be fair to to unemployed Lisa, it is very hard to get. The computer business is very difficult. (laughs) Yeah, especially Uh. in San Francisco. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna randomly throw out lines from the movie. Well, I know I caught that line too, and that's at first I thought, is Johnny in the computer business? But no, he's, <laughs> he dropped all this crap about being a banker, and I was like, no, he's not in the computer business. I was like, well, what? I mean, Lisa can't get a job waiting tables. I'm not trying to say. I'm just saying, you know, there's there's opportunities. I mean, 
I don't know. But her job is to drink scotchka and be Mrs. Johnny. I guess or Mrs. Future Johnny. Yeah, you used the word fiance a little bit ago. I'd like to point out that they never used that word here, and I'm probably sh- because uh, was so probably couldn't say it right. So they go with future wife, which is the weirdest <laughs> way of saying that. <laughs> All right, I'm going to throw out a pet theory here. Having seen this movie and having read The Disaster Artist, Tommy, uh, at least according to the uh, the mysterious travelogue put together by Greg Stero and some general background checks, uh, spent a lot spent some time in Paris. Before he came to the United States to live with an aunt and uncle. Okay. That's why he has said that he is from Louisiana at various times. That's why he's got kind of a weird, almost French, almost Eastern European accent when he speaks English. Uh, well, um, among other reasons. <laughs> but uh, I, be- I mean, his last name is, is Wiseau is, is a bastardized spelling of the French word for bird. Mm-hmm. Because he sold the, you know, those little birds where you pull the thing and it flies up in the air and it comes back to your hand. Yeah. Well, he sold those uh, in San Francisco on the on the boardwalk, huh. and that was how he made his money to to become you know whatever. Because apparently no one was selling those back in the seventies or eighties or fifties. I honestly whatever. thought the whole bit about working at a, as a restaurant waiter because he couldn't get a check cash was a for real story. So I just thought maybe they just had the camera on while he was sitting there talking to Greg Sestero. Oh, that's actually part of his life too. That happened to him <laughs> uh, when he first got to America. Wow. I, well, okay. So I could, I bought all of that. Like, but again, these two together, very strange. And I'm gonna, I want to get to the. Well, let's just get to the sex oh, oh, scene right wait. now. Okay. Wait, my pet, my pet theory. He doesn't okay. want to say the word fiance because it, it's not American. That's my pet theory. <laughs> yes, because no one in America says that that term, right? No, not at all. It's a <laughs> it's a it's an evil foreign word. He doesn't want to remind people that he's not from America and that he's not James Dean. <laughs> As if <laughs> couldn't have told that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Damn, he's not from America. <laughs> He's about as inexplicable as the, uh, you know, pirate one-legged guy that drops the uh, statue of the leprechaun off at the beginning of Leprechaun Three. So that's really kind of how it goes. So uh, I, I don't, I don't know. But let's, can we just talk about these sex scenes for a minute? I don't want to get gross here or or graphic. You know, we we don't do that here. But there's no need to. It doesn't really get graphic. Well, this is true. But I I want to say consistently gross. What is Tommy Russo's obsession with what I can only term as like outtakes from like set it off and juice and a lot of, you know, urban drama comedies of the nineties. I mean, this all sounds like the fake boys to men soundtrack (laughs) going on in the background while, while Lisa pretty much beds everybody except Denny. So, which I was waiting for, honest to God. Oh, we'll get to Denny. Just hold on. <laughs> but, but yeah, what's up with the... I, okay, I'm just going to say it right now. Worst love scenes I've ever seen. Ever. Dude, it looks like he's humping her belly. <laughs> yes. yes. And it the, does. And it's the terrible. overlay ADR of him... Ugh, ugh, yeah, yeah. It was like outtakes of him taking a dump. It's like a porn movie. <laughs> they, they put the, the soundtrack on after the fact. <laughs> I've seen, I'm sad to say, <laughs> seen better put together porn films than that. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, um, apparently, there's there was actually that was originally one long the the scenes with uh, Johnny and Lisa were one long sex scene. 
Yeah. That was like literally six minutes of them like writhing around and making out. God. Uh, he tried to get her to shoot a second love scene and she refused. refused yeah. So he cut it in half and used part of it for one part and then part of it for the other part, which is why they're one of the many reasons why there are so many. Like when you in the second sex scene, the candles are already lit. Yeah. Uh, and some other stuff. But the soundtracks, the uh, the terrible thing is. Uh, hang on, there's a. Uh, I can't find it. But the guy who did the soundtrack is actually like a real, for real person. Oh wow! Yeah, well, like I, I'm not, not saying they're bad. I'm just saying the choice is weird. It's kind of. I had the same reaction to this as I did the first time I saw Office Space, and I realized it was the whitest movie about the whitest nerdiest dude set to the most gangster rap the guy could possibly find, and that the ir- irony of that was you know not supposed to be lost on us. And I kind of felt the same about this. <laughs> So it, it's supposed to be the most sensual, soulful oh, love God. with the worst like chemistry couple of all time. Oh, by far, yeah. Kitra Williams and Clint Young Gamboa are the composers and performers of the soundtrack. Yeah, Clint Gamboa. Uh, Clint, Clint Gamboa was on um, American Idol in oh, wow. 2011. That's what? what I was thinking of. Yeah, he was like a for real. Holy shit, you're right. I recognize him. <laughs> yeah, he's like a real person. That is hilarious. So, was he ever in your pool, Brian? I know you still do. No, I uh, <laughs> I don't think that I did that year. It's the American Idol 2011. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Wow. <laughs> I do recognize him, though. I'm just amazed at the number of people that went on to work beyond this. It's more than I would have expected. So. He he paid money to actually Haley get Reinhardt like, and Paul McDonald. Yeah, he didn't get that far. Yeah, he actually, but Tommy actually paid like professionals to come in, mm-hmm. and like he lost his director of photography like three quarters of the way through the movie because he went to work on a Spielberg movie <laughs> with uh, with uh, Janice Kamenetsky. Yeah, so like he went to work for a real like person. Like <laughs> these weren't unskilled people; these were just. You just do your job. Was, I mean, it's, it was it's, what we talk about, you know, young Hollywood. Like, they do this now. The Disney princesses are all working through their slew of them. I think Bella Thorne's got one coming out next year. They all do a horror movie at some time, you know, to try to be hardcore. Or they try to do something hardcore. I think Anne Hathaway did, you know, Havoc and Havoc, yeah. Mountain to try to break the, you know, the stereotype. Well, Selena Gomez did Spring Breakers. Exactly. Yeah, they all took yeah. Vanessa Hudgens has done this. Like, they all try to break out of that stereotype. So I just, you know, I, I, it's sort of like that ride of pass in Hollywood, I figure, yeah, you know, everybody works on this stuff, you know. It's just, uh, um, just depending on how long they're going to last with it. But I don't know the, the love scenes here, badly shot, staged, everything about it. <laughs> but I'll say this, I, and I, now I watched this alone three times. I couldn't, could not convince my wife to watch this with me. So I, I watched this alone three. Oh, I can she's imagine, missing out. I can imagine in a room full of people, this would be hilarious. Brian, you actually tried to watch this with your spouse, right? She fell asleep. Yeah. <laughs> she was she was watching with me and commenting, and all of a sudden I look over and she's out <laughs> like a light. Yeah, she couldn't get get into it. <laughs> That's how long did she make it in? I'm curious. Uh, she well, we we kept commenting on how I didn't think this movie was all sex. <laughs> I think I I texted you and said, "Is this seriously one long porno?" <laughs> and uh, I think she made it to the second act and then conked. 
Yeah, all all the sex is really in the first. Most of it's in the first act, I should say. But well, can we talk about Danny now? His special needs best friend. <laughs> so I mean, what is? Can we? Uh, can we? He's like a son. Yeah. Can we talk about the fact that everyone just seems to come and go as they please in this fucking house? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> hey, nobody's here. Let's go fucking Johnny's house. <laughs> oh yeah, good idea. Oh, who the hell are you? Oh, I'm so and so's mom. You know that'll get you killed in a horror movie. So, uh, yeah, right. Say it. Uh, maybe in one and, version of. And the draft. my favorite is when they tell him he's like, "Oh yeah, no big deal." Yeah, maybe in one version of the draft he actually became a monster and killed him. <laughs> actually, he was gonna make Johnny a vampire. I can totally what? see this now. Yeah, he was obsessed with vampires. He wanted oh. Johnny to be a vampire. Like halfway through shooting, he decides he? he wants Johnny to be a vampire. He would be a vampire in like the Anne Rice Lestat versions of vampires. Exactly. That yes. is, he was. He was. He was totally channeling Peter Toole too from Typo Negative. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, great. Pl- yeah, the great look without the deep goofy. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, he didn't pull anything <laughs> off that way. But <laughs> yeah, he also wanted them to make his uh, his. Uh, he wanted one of the climactic scenes to be Johnny's car like flying off the rooftop. <laughs> Because he's a vampire. That was going to be the vampire reveal. Yeah. Because that makes so much Because then he'd start flying out of the car or what? No, the, the car <laughs> itself would fly because apparently, apparently his vampire powers would be strong enough to carry around a friggin' 3,000-pound Mercedes-Benz. Wow. Vampire cars. That's the, Wow. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe Tommy's special needs. <laughs> I'm not just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so Denny comes over. And uh-huh. Denny, like, I was going to talk about the Denny's big scene for me. Well, the, the drug scene is the big scene, but the other one is where he confesses his love for Lisa to Johnny, who totally blows that off, and <laughs> says, "My man, you know she loves you like a person, like a human, or whatever." And like then, a like, then he's like, "Yeah, screw her, forget her. I'm going to go marry Elizabeth and have babies with her." <laughs> and I was like, "Who's that?" My my scene for him, my favorite scene for him is when he comes in. And he says, "You look really nice. I want to kiss you." <laughs> what? Yeah. Who uh, says for, that? For me, the, the 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 initial introduction to Denny is is always my favorite because they're like, "Oh, we're going to go upstairs now, Denny." He's like, "Oh, can I watch?" Uh, right. right. No, he says, "I like to watch." And I like to watch. Uh, I like to watch you too, yeah. Implying <laughs> that he's done this before. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and, then, and then and then they're up there in the bed starting to you know fool around or whatever, and he comes in and acts like, "Oh, I can play too." <laughs> oh, what the <laughs> fuck, Brian? You got kids that are growing up <laughs> and stuff. That's a showstopper, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know, but I'm just guessing. So, <laughs> especially when it's not your kid. Yeah, <laughs> a, that, yeah. He pays for Denny's tuition. Which do you ever see Denny crack a book? I don't know what he's studying. I don't think Denny's ever in class either. Yeah, he's always over at at Johnny's in weird times. I, I think Denny's buying drugs from Chris R. So, <laughs> or whatever he's supposed to be doing. I, I don't even know if Denny's smart enough to graduate from Hamburger University. <laughs> I, really, I mean, it's it's really weird. I don't get the character though. Is I guess he's is he supposed to be comic relief because he's not. <laughs> I think so. That is, uh, yeah, it's really. I think it's just meant to show how nice of a person Johnny is. To be honest, is that it? Is just that? I think so because he takes him under his wing and treats him like a kid and like his own son and this and that. And he's so good to Johnny, or he's so good to Danny. 
they have such weird conversations. Like that whole, what movie are we going to see tonight? I don't think so. You don't talk father and son like they do? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that. Did someone fall over? He's like, ah, you don't think so hard. I was like, I didn't ask you the theory of relativity or why are we still fighting in Iraq? (laughs) I asked you what we were going to go see at the local, you know, cinema. (laughs) So. I don't. Oh gosh, I don't know. It's just you worry too much. I worry. Too, I'm worrying about this film way too much. As <laughs> okay, so let's think, talk about Claudette, please. Please, yes, Claudette. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> she's she's telling her daughter, who cares about love? It's all about financial security. Mm-hmm. That's what I went for, and apparently she's been divorced how many times? I can't remember. Um, yeah. yeah, I even love your I, father. So. Yeah, that's a great thing to tell your, tell your child. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Sweet. No, Claudette's best line is her, you know, her subplot that just goes ah. nowhere. The well, by the way, I have breast cancer. Oh, I'm sure it'll be okay, and to right. never be mentioned again. <laughs> I, I'm dying. Well, we all die. <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty much what it gets said. I don't love Johnny anymore. Help me. Well, don't leave him. Well, but I, but I like him so much. <laughs> that's that's another thing that comes up in the uh, the cult screenings. Yeah. Every, every time. Oh, what's that? Uh oh. Yeah, I think we lost Ron. Oh, I think we did. This happens from time to time on the old Skype calls. That's all right. Ah, oh, it's coming back. It'll be okay. So. Da 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 da. All right, sorry about that. No anyway, point. what was I saying? You said oh. it happens sometimes in the cult screenings. Okay, uh, what happens in the cult screenings is every time Claudette touches Lisa, people yell out "cancer," <laughs> <laughs> or like "it's in you," or like <laughs> other it's cancer-related in insults. This one yeah. like, like passed out on the set, man. She's giving her all. <laughs> Yeah, in her in her first film, no less, and hopefully oh, wow. it's her only film. I figured he you found her off the scrap heap of the soap operas. Like, really? <laughs> I I did not know that. Wow. Well, you, you can tell she she has no idea what she's doing. So uh, it delivers lines. Uh, it's almost like they were shot months apart. <laughs> the inflections are all off. She gives the worst advice ever. It's like the worst parent ever. I think if if, if she's in there for anything, I guess it's to set up that yeah. Well, you know, Johnny's actually kind of smart compared to all these idiots. So she's an awful person. That's, that's some low hanging fruit there. That is that is quite low. So I I do find her. I mean, she continues on this rant though with Lisa every time. Brian, this what gets me is this: you you don't need love, you just need security or however she says it. And I I'm just sitting there going. I was waiting for her to give her the pass. Like I don't care, bang Mark on the side all you want, but marry Johnny. Yeah, that's what I was waiting for her to say because that's where it seemed like it was going. <laughs> Well, it seems to kind of be what Lisa wanted, right? I mean, that's what she was wow. heading off to do before Johnny offed himself. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, so true. Yeah, Claudette is a real awful. But that, it also you know, brings the point how you can see Lisa become more and more manipulative because that's the thing about her. Like she gets, you mentioned it, Ron, she gets caught in her lies. Like or in, in broad, she gets caught in her lies four or five times and nobody ever calls her on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, well, that, you know, you're, it's not that you're good at being manipulative. It's that everyone around you is an idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. 
So this Lisa's an idiot for one. I mean, the the position she puts herself in, it's like she wants to get caught. I mean, I don't know if that was the case or not, but at his own freaking birthday party, she has everybody go outside to get fresh air, all so that she can boink Mark in the house again. Again, yeah. What the yeah. hell? I don't know. I, that's and then he goes along. Okay, so Mark is an idiot as well. The, the, I love his line. Why did you do that to me? <laughs> she first. It's as if, I mean, he comes what? over. She she starts serving him wine and taking off her shirt, and apparently that's all. I, I can't control myself. Right? Is that it? I, we, I can't do this. We can't do this. Oh, what the hell! Boom, boom. Did Why can't it you did that to stairs. me? Okay. Just, I'm oh just, yeah. I'm right? just calling. I'm calling Bonko on this right now. Okay. You cannot do this on the stairs. Okay, children, don't. Don't try it. Your hips are not built for that. So you cannot do this on the stage. <laughs> this is ridiculous. And, and especially to bad boys to men. Hey. All right, I think I'm back. You're back. Ron back. Let no. Me add, let me add him back in. Here he comes. Oh, he yeah. just fell out again. Want us to record this. <laughs> I think it's Wizzo. <laughs> so, no, he really doesn't stop people from doing all this crap. Can, can you hear me? I can hear you yeah. now. Okay, you said apparently and then it went blank. Okay, I didn't know if you heard me cursing at Skype. No. <laughs> but Okay, good. Yeah. Well, apparently all that stuff they shot was, Tommy was like, hey, let's go to, let's go back to San Francisco for the weekend and hang out. And then he was like, oh, while we're up here, we'll just film this stuff for the movie. <laughs> so that's some stuff that happened. <laughs> and the coffee shop was apparently a real place. And the the flower shop was a real place, and of course the lady play who playing the clerk wasn't a real you know mm-hmm. actress. That was the actual lady who owned the flower shop. <laughs> yeah, can we talk and, about the flower shop for a sec? Because sure. he he walks into the flower shop, oh, and they're worst scene in the movie. Okay, th- that's saying something. And they're like they don't know who he is, and then they're like, oh yeah, you're our favorite customer. And I was like, what? <laughs> You didn't know who I was five seconds ago. Exactly. I, just, I didn't see you standing there. How can you miss that dude? <laughs> Number one, how could you not instantly recognize this giant Eastern European gargoyle with a stringy Danzig wig? <laughs> uh, uh, the acting in that scene is probably by far the worst ever seen in my life. It's so bad. The the it, it made no sense. Like the, the, the timing, the the words, whatever. It's like he didn't even talk. They just overdubbed everything afterwards. Oh, you're our favorite customer. Oh, thank you. I'll take the rose. <laughs> did, did okay, he, oh, thank you. Goodbye. Are his lines overdubbed? There's lots of times is his like I think words, so. there's words coming out and there's no mouth movement. It's <laughs> and there's times when there's mouth movement that don't match the words. <laughs> exactly. Basically, he could not hit his marks and he could not remember his lines. He wrote the movie. <laughs> he wrote the movie and it's a and it's based on stuff that happened to him in his life. And <laughs> he can't remember his own words. And he wrote the crap. Brian, this would be like you going to play a gig with your band and you can't remember any of the chords of the words of your songs. <laughs> I mean, Sadly, that's him. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully not to the extent that you just play the CD <laughs> and pantomime to it. So, <laughs> I, just put, I just put the MP3 player on and mouth it. There you go. So, well, so you're basically saying that you're a winger. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> not that bad. Yeah. Jeez, that's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you just got to on this show. <laughs> anyway, 
okay, yeah. Terrible scene. Did we need a scene setting up that he buys flowers for Lisa? He buys her everything else. Do, who cares? So, I mean, I, that, that's the thing is that this film is, again, it, and you can tell it is the, the fact that there's no one there to tell this guy, hey, this doesn't make any sense. And none of the other actors, because, you know, none of them are famous for anything, are, they're just trying to get work done. They're not going to go, hey, Tommy, this doesn't really work. Or maybe they are, and he just blows it off. I don't know. But well, by, this, by this point in the movie, everyone had given up on trying to tell him anything. <laughs> he, wouldn't, he didn't want the actors to improvise. He wanted them to read the dialogue exactly as it was said. Do you, know, is, do you know who else wanted that? The guy that directed Troll 2. You see what he got? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now is- they're eating me. Ah. <laughs> Never. I'm not even going to do my troll too right now. But uh, he can't stand you anyway. I don't. I don't understand some of what gets introduced though, because not only do we have subplots that go away, we have characters that come and go for no reason at all. Who the heck is the psychologist friend that Tommy or Johnny says, "Hey, stop playing psychologist with us." Three minutes after he says, "Hey, you're the psychologist. Give us advice." <laughs> Where did that guy come from? Yeah, and that what guy, trip- yeah, that guy's great. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, he's one of the ones that like falls down and they have to carry off set because that happens at the end of these football scenes a couple times. But one time when they're in tuxedos, why are they in tuxedos? Are they going to prom? Is it somebody's wedding? What was that? <laughs> it has something to do with. It, I thought it was like a wedding prep, like they were trying their tuxes on or something. Okay, it was like a spontaneous thing. Tommy thinks that's what you do when you have fun. Spontaneous tuxedo wearing? <laughs> yes, because nothing says says fun to me like putting on a stiff suit. <laughs> yeah, fellas, that's what I do on my And own. then throwing a ball around. In in a lot. Like in the back alley. Like if mm. you play Godfather of the game, somebody comes by to buy drugs from you later. I mean that's what this <laughs> looks like. That's exactly what it reminded me of. It's uh, really strange. <laughs> oh, and, and basically why you had the one guy show up and the other guy disappear was the the first actor, um, Peter, said, hey, you've only got me, I'm only available for X number of weeks because I've got to go do real projects. And Tommy was <laughs> like, oh, sure, you'll be done way before then. And lo and behold, Pete, uh, Calvo goes up to him one day. That's the actor who played Peter. It's like, all right, I gotta go. I gotta shoot a real movie now. <laughs> and so Tommy, rather than trying to find somebody who looks like him, just drags this other guy in to play this completely unnamed character. I mean, his name is Steven, but his name is never really mentioned in the the movie. You're talking about the guy that calls Lisa out on her like infidelity finally. Yes. <laughs> well, he catches her, doesn't he? Yeah. That's one where they're. They're making out while everyone outside, and he comes in. And he's like, "You can't do this." That yeah. one, yeah, that dude, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's him. Awesome. The dark-headed, awesome. like he could have been an expert. Well, Kyle, or, uh, Peter's the one who confronts Mark because he he figures it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The Stephen lines were supposed to be for Peter, but he, <laughs> he was unavailable. <laughs> got a real movie part or something or. Wow. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad he works again. Yeah. Oh, you know what, though? I think if anybody like bothered to know what happened here, no one would hold anything against anyone except with so. <laughs> Having been a part of this, like, yeah, that's not your fault. 
You know, so that's why nobody holds those bad horror movies I listed earlier against the Disney princess <laughs> queens because it's like, yeah, yeah, you, you got to do that. Yeah, I get it. You know, it's like it's like when you break into professional wrestling, you got to go job to this person, that person. You get smacked around by. It used to be you get smacked around by Mick Foley, and then you're you know you're in the mid card. So I mean, that was, you never got smacked around by Mick Foley. Let's face that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was it was what it was. Or well, back in the old days when I was younger, you, you had to go job to the Ultimate Warrior for thirty five seconds, and then you got to be on somebody else's show. But anyway, <laughs> point being. All of this goes down because the big the big party's happening, and Lisa has apparently told Johnny she's having a kid, quote, to make it interesting. Right. That was a good twist. <laughs> Except yeah. it came out of friggin' nowhere. And it, and, and we got expecting. Most, and it wasn't true. That's the best part. She just decided <laughs> to make this up, and I don't know how she was going to... Rec- how she was going to cover for it later, but I mean, I'm sure it's it would have been terrible. It's all in her sick, twisted mind as a way to to make Johnny feel even worse when she finally dumps him. I think I was never pregnant anyway. I think Peter's right. Oh, She's a sociopath. She should have been a serial killer at the end of this or something. There you go. She should have killed Johnny. There we go. Well, she kind of did. But, well, <laughs> you know, for real though. <laughs> Uh, she could have. Uh, maybe she, she could have just landed on him. I don't know. <laughs> he, I don't know. That was pretty ripped dude, so I, I guess he could take it. But anyway, um, yeah, that was the one thing else I didn't need to see where the uh, you know constant panning to you know Tommy Wiseau's obliques. No, nope, don't need that. So not that important. The party, the party goes down, and then this is the best part for me though is when he just loses his mind on on everybody in the party including mark and i love how mark is like man your woman came to me because you can't satisfy or whatever and then he like punches him and calls him an mf and then all of a sudden he's like oh i'm sorry mark it's okay you shake on it yeah shake on it get your hands off of me it's he vacillates from one thing to the next it's amazing my favorite, though, of this movie is when, when he suspects something's going on. Mm-hmm. So he decides to take a tape recorder <laughs> and hook it up to the phone so he can record everything that happens, right? So I'm thinking, okay, how is this going to work? So he'll tape record everything that happens. Is he tape recording whatever's happening in the house or just the phone calls or what's going on? We don't really get to resolution then. One time, she's talking on the phone, and he's whatever. They just got caught, right? So he's he's showering or something, and and uh, she's talking on the phone. He asks her what she's talking about, and she's like, "It's none of your business." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I find out anyway." And goes and gets the tape, which is rewound all the way to the start, <laughs> and puts it in the tape recorder. And it just so happens to miraculously have caught that conversation on tape. What the hell? <laughs> It was voice activated only to Lisa's dulcet tones. That's all I can say. That's the thing. <laughs> it, was, it was apparently Tommy Wiseau's uh, answering machine. <laughs> I can believe it. And I actually believe he walks around with a cassette tape in his front pocket like that all the time, too. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was just there. And, you know, he's got cassette decks Which, lying. By the way, this is, this is made in 2003. 2003. We had digital at that point, people. We weren't rocking the cassettes anymore in the, in the answering machines. Uh, anyway, and, and one of the one of the tenants, one of the longtime tenants in Tommy's building in San Francisco, 
mm-hmm. is a spy equipment shop. <laughs> so there was literally no excuse for him to use that answering machine. No, all, all I know is that now I understand why they never could catch the jigsaw killer because they kept getting the wrong t- you know, sales tapes slips from this weirdo in San Francisco and watching him and all of his friends come and go at all hours of the damn night. So <laughs> while Jigsaw and you know Costas Mandalore are out there torturing people. But anyway, oh, nice. so yeah, He's- I... Yeah. I think my fa- uh, one of the favorite anecdotes about the fight, the fight gets its own, basically gets its own chapter in The Disaster Artist. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and apparently Tommy Wiseau has, like, the most, the strongest hands of any human being <laughs> I can Greg Sestero's ever met. Yeah. And by the end of the, t- they because they shot it, like, forever, yeah. because they they kept fighting, like, uh, pansies, basically. <laughs> and <laughs> one of the uh, direct, the guy who was directing for Tommy says, "Hey, you guys are fighting like pansies." And so the next take, Tommy just straight up shoves Greg Sestero down, and he falls and smacks his head against the set. And that's the take that gets ended up in the movie, where Tommy just kind of blows his steam and just shoves this poor guy down, just out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, like before he's ready for it and everything. And that's when he says. Leave your stupid comments in your pocket. <laughs> nice. Well, but before we get to the burying, though, I do want to back up to something in Act Two that we we went by. We got to talk about Denny's drug scene on the ceiling or the roof, right? <laughs> what, it's not so much that Denny's caught up doing, you know, selling drugs, buying drugs. Well, yeah, I can totally buy all of that. And the fact that they're like, we're going to haul your A to jail, and then they they just come back three minutes later. I was like, well, that, that was not. Was you give him to Dirty Harry, he shoot him in San Francisco, I guess. But <laughs> the, the thing that got me is the way everyone completely and totally loses their shit in front of Denny on that ceiling. Lee's just like, how could you? And the, even the mother, who, how the heck is she? She know who Denny is. It's like, how could that was the dumbest thing you could ever do? <laughs> like, they all rag on this kid forever. I'm surprised he didn't jump off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> I like that uh, the Claudette is the one that's really giving him the third degree, and the rest are like, oh, no, it's okay, it's okay. Like, no big deal. Yeah. You, no, what, you what, got caught in a bad drug deal. No biggie. Yeah, what's amazing is that, like, Lisa at one point is screaming at him, and then she takes up for it. Like, we know it'll be okay. How could you do this? <laughs> right? Psycho. And that actually all pays off, though, because it does bring us back to the end, where Johnny decides he's had enough, right? And he basically destroys the set. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what the next two minutes are. Tommy yeah. was so trashing the uh, thrift store set. Just, yeah. And apparently, he, for whatever reason, he just could not get the concept of destroying the set. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like somebody trying to destroy the set but not destroy it at the same time. <laughs> like I'm going to take this to my home. It's very nice, but I must hit it really hard. <laughs> or something. It's it's very bad. And I love the TV getting thrown. <laughs> the TV gets thrown. Yeah, as far as the answer machine to get thrown too. You know that that should have happened. Well, that was upstairs now. Hey, they couldn't have gotten one picture of him and you know Juliet together so he could sling it across the room. <laughs> Maybe she was like, nah, nah, nah. You got enough pictures. Of so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but but the last two things we got to talk about the. 
making of love to the red dress and oh, the flashbacks God. to that awful love scene from the beginning. Anyway, it's is that that's one of the most awkward things I've ever seen. <laughs> so. would, would you like me to read a section of the book? I found the book. Uh, the the section. Uh, it's from page two thirty five. All right. The chapter title is God Forgive Me. Because <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. The room's original script tells us that Johnny, in the middle of going nuts, finds a, quote, sexy nightgown and moments before killing himself does something highly inappropriate with it. To quote the <laughs> script itself, he reaches in and pulls out more of Lisa's clothes and throws them on the floor. He lies on the clothes, unzipping his zipper. He is breathing hard and writhing with pelvic thrusts. When he finishes, he sits up and picks up the gun. That's exactly what he was going for. Wow. <laughs> that is unreal. That Nothing is, like screwing some clothes. I mean, to say goodbye. <laughs> you, know, you don't look at a photo of somebody or, you know, flip through old home movies or vacation or even hold jewelry. <laughs> you know, nope, I'm going to hump your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he pulls out the nine millimeter and he blows his head off. And, only to be followed by maybe the worst crying scene in the film between all the, the, the cast comes back to weep over Johnny's dead body and to check for signs of life, but not check for signs of life. Like they, like they, they pick a, they put their hands in his blood and go, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> Did the midichlorian count too low for you there? <laughs> Mark. I mean, what, what's going on? And what I love is he tells them off. And then comes back. Like you should you should walk off now. That's your that's your scene to walk away. And he didn't walk away. That was the thing that got me. I expected Claudette to come in with like a you know bottle of sherry and go, What's going on here? You know? uh. I got reactions to the to the ending besides me. Oh boy. Um well I think Ron got cut off there for a second, but okay. I think he's back. Yeah, I, I did, but okay. I'm back now. Go for it. I was going to say, um, I think the, the thing that, that works best for me is how absolutely no one who's supposed to be weeping over their martyred best friend who is possibly the best person anyone has ever known, including Jesus and every, <laughs> every saint and you know, Mother Teresa and everybody <laughs> – Buddha, all of them, I mean, or Johnny is clearly the best person anyone's ever known, and they can't even manage to cry real tears for him. <laughs> yeah, that that's a great way to sum that up. So. Like, he, like they, because if you look at Mark, he's just got like those rubbery glycerin tears just all over his face, and he just could not be less interested <laughs> in his in his dead friend. As, as he's telling off his. Love at the same time. Yeah, so first he's like, I want to bang you forever, and then he's like, oh no, he killed himself, so now I hate you? <laughs> okay. I'm like, wouldn't that clear the... Well, it's all her fault. I mean, she is a woman. him to be gone? Yes, it is all her well, fault. <laughs> it is all her fault anyway, but still. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a, it, it was a bizarre ending. I... I why have the main character kill himself at the end over that? Oh, I could, I could see that. Like he got so distraught that this, it was all but he, didn't he get has his pro- left. Go ahead. I just said he didn't get his promotion. 
<laughs> is that what he was upset about? Did he even mention? I, that would have been the last straw. That was like the big thing for the set act two. You know, oh, Johnny's going to get his promotion. Oh, did Johnny get his promotion? No, not yet. Is Johnny going to get his promotion? Johnny, did you get your promotion? No, they're not going to give it to me. They lied to me. They're stupid. They betray me. <laughs> the stupid promotion. They like take they, all back too. They trick me. <laughs> I saved the money. Uh, what did you say? Yeah. I, I, yeah. They used all my idea. They used all my ideas. I saved them thousands of dollars. <laughs> thousands. <Ooh. laughs> yeah. It's uh, uh maybe that's it would have been a uh, a great coda if after humping the dress and all the memories and stuff and realizing, you know, what his life had become if he was like, and I didn't get my promotion. You know, <laughs> that would have been it, but I was he doesn't really say anything. He just all of a sudden Forgive I have me. no friends anymore. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's kind of it. He trashes his place, he screws the dress and shoots himself. So and and I it seemed like to me that like time had passed. Like there had been you know a long amount of time in between when he shot himself and when they found him. No, it seemed to me like that was like right away because they probably heard the the gunshot. Is that it? Okay, I wasn't. I thought they came pretty much right away because the way it's cut, it seems like he's been laying there for a while or something. It's it's one of the many bad camera options of the film. But anyway, I I guess I'm I'm hanging on to it. But then it ends, and I fully expected like to see the ghost of Johnny like walking around behind people oh, and then the stage his funeral or something because this whole be movie's been all about him anyway. So I might as well do that too. I'm surprised that's not it. Or tell me, is that part of the original script? Not just, we just didn't get to see it or what? I think that the only way he could be a more terrifying looking person is if he was a ghost. <laughs> I mean, he's creepy enough in like three dimension flesh and blood. Can you imagine like the washed out specter of that, <laughs> that aging 80s rock star looking guy just looming over you and, and flapping his arms and saying, cheap, cheap, cheap. <laughs> I well no that's just what the movie was but <laughs> I I could I mean he comes off like a Scooby Doo villain anyway it would have been fine if he'd walked <laughs> in the door at the end it really wasn't me see you all don't love me you know or whatever but that that didn't happen and thank God it's not on the extended version either so. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, we've already said it. Obviously, we know what kind of you know popcorn we're getting here. But is it worth seeing? What is the enduring legacy of the room, Brian? Your thoughts? Well, I'll probably be in the minority here, but I'm gonna say no. It's definitely not worth seeing. I I would never watch it again myself. I thought it was terrible the first time through. <laughs> I don't know why I would ever want to torture myself with watching this again. <laughs> and you've got another one to go. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Uh, obviously, you there know, ain't no I, Leprechaun too. Well, <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, you just is... need to. You just need to watch it with the riff tracks. <laughs> that or... that I well, I actually bought that, and yes, I will say that the third time I watched it was with the riff tracks, and yes, it does improve the quality by you know a factor of twelve. So so it is that's that's a that's a good spent three ninety nine. So um, I'm gonna go next and then Rod, I'll let you finish it off because you're the fan here. So I, I kinda know what you're gonna say. I'll say this. I I will never watch this by myself again, but I definitely will do this on the bad movie night if I get a group of people together and we want to do something like that. I this is gonna be a great way to start that because this is 
so ridiculous. And if I can ever make it to one of these screenings, I'm going to have to find a way to go because it sounds like a, a great time. But I will never sit down and watch this by myself again. I can promise you that. But uh, <laughs> maybe somewhere else in the future. We'll see. So, all right, Rod, give it to us one last time. Your enduring love for this film, what is it about the room that, that you just can't get enough of? It's the – if you took – Citizen, if you took Orson Welles and then you took him to replaced him with this bizarro world double, <laughs> you would get Tommy Wiseau. I mean, Orson Welles is a great filmmaker, writer, director, actor, uh, you know, one of the supreme talents of that era of Hollywood. Tommy Wiseau thinks he's that, but he's not. And in that delusion, in that, uh, complete complete ability to just spend money hand over fist in pursuit of some singular dream it's probably the purest auteur film like you're ever going to get for better or worse this is straight up from Tommy Wiseau's brain from his hands, from his heart this is like it's a statement film it's the kind of weird thing that really shouldn't be able to happen <laughs> in, in the 21st century. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, um, Manos, the Hands of Fate, uh, <laughs> Plan 9 from Outer Space. It is the, the maybe the last gasp of that. I'm a weirdo. This is what I want to be on my movie screen. This is my movie. No one's going to stop me. Except he had $6 million to spend on this weird disaster <laughs> of epic proportions. I think you, you've hit it. it. That's the thing that maybe separates this from other you know, bad movies, so bad it's good type movies or whatever, is that there's financing here. You just can't tell what in the hell it was spent on. But it, it's all wasted in the sad and uh, you know, ridiculous things with somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. That's the thing that gets me is that it, you never get this out of a studio because they would just take over, right? They would never allow someone to just go and do this kind of stuff. And clearly, you know, was so is unique in that respect. But I'll say this now, uh, this is, it is a grand example of what happens when you give someone, well, when someone has the opportunity to just do whatever they want, you know, and no one can tell them no. Um, it makes, for a great disaster. And um, I'm a fan of things that fail spectacularly. And so I, I agree with you on that. This one certainly does. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, is that this isn't it, though. Like, you know, Wiseau has sort of lived off the notoriety or um, I don't know if you want to call it that or <laughs> infamy of this film for a long time. But he's got something else in the works, doesn't he? Yes, he's got an upcoming <laughs> television series called The Neighbors. Oh, it's stars. It's the uh, he actually started doing it after the room. Uh, it's been done since like 2005, um, but it's basically him in an awful wig and a bunch of weirdos in what is he's like an apartment complex manager and like a princess moves in. It's it's quite possibly even more insane than the room. Wow. Uh, and it's going to be on comedy.tv uh, apparently this fall or this spring. I forget when. But 
It's it's actually going to happen, and I could not be more excited for for it because even though I think he's learned that he's learned that uh, his Tennessee Williams cat on a hot tin roof uh, drama is the most ridiculous thing ever to most people. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe in my heart of hearts that he does not care and he thinks everyone is wrong. <laughs> and I think that self delusion is going to be enough to protect him from the corrosive effects of, you know, I got famous for this terrible movie, the Birdemic two, uh, you know, second failure. I think it's going to be great. And by great, I mean, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I am oddly curious to see what that looks like when it finally gets made the trailer the trailer is out there i may yeah, i'm gonna have to tell we'll post that in the the links with the show because that wow <laughs> i am uh, <laughs> i am really curious to see what that's going to look like once it's all said and done i can only imagine what's Ooh. coming <laughs> with that but we're not done here with our bad movie tour de force guys it's it's my turn next time i'm bringing out the guns the, you know, I will tell you now, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to lose on the worst thing to ever hit a theater with y'all. Maybe, you know, you might enjoy the room better for what it gives you or its goofy weirdness, stuff like that. But I will promise you, you've never seen anything like this <laughs> until next time. And so I'm, I have been waiting to to find people to podcast about this for years. I've tried several times with different people and everyone walks out of here going, there is no way to talk about that. So I'm putting it to y'all. Let's see if we can come up with a way to (laughs) summarize the impossible. It's the Kobayashi Maru of podcasting. (laughs) So, and uh, somebody's going to have to get in and reprogram it so we can win. So, uh, <laughs> well, folks, you can find more episodes of actual good films and even some more, you know, horrible schlock like American Ninja Four and, and Leprechaun Five, and you know, <laughs> we've actually done good films too. Though we did Star Wars once, and you know, Halloween, lots of other good stuff at our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Click the link for movies, and you'll see the uh, all the film strip stuff there. You'll see the link to the Art of Slaying, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, podcast. Seven seasons of Buffy reviews there for your enjoyment. You'll also find links to the Fabish Factor, general film discussion and television podcast, and Brian's other podcast, Squared Circle Flashbacks. Yeah, Squared Circle Flashbacks. We look at the WWE Network, and we talk about some of the best, and unfortunately lately, some of the worst pay-per-views <laughs> in the history of the world but um it's a fun little retrospective to go back and relive some of the glory days of wcw wwe some of my old days and all that and i have a panel of people who come along and it's a good time fun stuff so lots of podcast uh stuff for you to enjoy and if you want to follow ron's writing ron tell them how they can find you you can find me every day at basically every day at popfi.com p-o-p-f-i.com that's just weird things in the news and stuff and entertaining or you know stuff that is unusual uh or you can find me as always at denofgeek.com i'm actually doing a uh well by the time this airs it'll be over but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but i'm doing a uh, i'm covering a weird uh, i'm covering some a tv movie that the sci-fi channel is putting so it's oh. like my two worlds are bleeding together <laughs> my, my, my love of garbage and the people who pay me to watch garbage or <laughs> finally meeting <laughs> 
fabulous as always. Well, folks, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate your support. Until next time, for Brian and Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Wait, (laughs) I have something I want to show you. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. 